And remind me afterwards because otherwise I won't remember that I'm wearing it until I try to go to bed. <laughs> I'll get it in the kidney. Well, actually, we're not starting the series tonight. We started in October. I was naughty in October. I was so glad to be with you all then. And I don't have to make any apologies for the way I speak because you have my brother here. You're already used to the, the southern. We're all product, byproducts of southern education. So you just have to put up with the way we speak. We started a chapter and we didn't even get halfway through it. But we got a lot of good stuff out of the part that we did, I think. And so we're going to work between now and Friday, on finishing chapter 16 of Acts. And then Sunday, I might as well confess, I'm going to be naughty again. And we're going to start chapter 17, and I'm not going to finish it. Because I like you guys, and I want to come back. (laughs) So, might as well tell the truth right up to start with. Uh, And as far as introductions go, I think most people already know, and it's one of the things that missionaries hate to do anyway, to talk about themselves. Uh, you go out to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus Christ, to get people to read God's word, to get out of their all their preconceived ideas and to open the Bible, to read it and to think. And you want, you're always talking about something other than yourself. And so then you come back to the States and people say, tell us about yourself. And you say, well, everything in me goes against that. So if you want to ask me a question later on, I'll do that. But I just can't take time away from the love of my life, the Lord Jesus and the Word of God to talk about me. I'm nothing but another sinner saved by the grace of God. So when we open the Bible and we share with you things from the Bible, it's not because we think we know more or better than anyone else. It's like one beggar telling another one where to find bread. So just remember and look at it that way. Now, let's go right into the book of Acts, because we have a lot of work before us, and we have to do a little bit of review first, and we're going to start in verse 9, chapter 16, verse 9, and we'll read down to verse 18. We'll have a little bit of review, and then we'll go right into the section that we have before us tonight. I should tell you, before I begin to read, there is one thing. I brought some books They're on the book table there, and uh, the brethren who gave them to me, and I use that word advisedly, didn't charge for them. And so there's no price in any of those books, and the idea is not take a book and leave a donation. The idea is take a book and read it. Your contribution is that you promise to read the book, and the books are only good in as far as they follow what the Scripture says. So what you do is you read it this way. When it refers to the scriptures, you do like the Bereans in chapter 17 of Acts. See, and it says that they were more noble and that they heard the word of God. They received it and they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. So open the Bible, read it and think. And if you do that, then you'll find help in those books. But if you don't, then you'll just find that it. You do like anybody else. You just read what people say and become a slave of other people's thoughts. But if they lead you to the Word of God and teach you something from it, then you say, well, thank you, Lord. That was a help. Now, to find out what's in them that can help you, you're going to have to pick them up and read them. 
There is a book there that's called a prayer handbook that has a list that goes through a month, 31 days, and it has in each division of days it has a certain number of missionaries who are serving in different countries around the world. And there's a magazine that goes with it called Missions Magazine. And every month there's a section in the magazine that has something that says 27, 28, 12. Those are the names or the numbers of the day of the month that you'll find in that handbook. So you go there in the handbook and you'll see the picture of the people who are in that country, whatever country it happens to be. And then you go to the magazine and you read a letter from that person telling you what's going on, where they are. So you know exactly how to pray for them, whatever situation they're in, right around the world. So those really go together. And you just have to go browse by the book table and figure all that out for yourself. I know I see a few faces out here of people that I'm certain know how to explain pretty well what I'm talking about. So you just position yourself by the book table and help folks out. Thank you. All right, now let's get down to business. Acts chapter 16. And we're in verse 9. That's where we're going to pick up. We, we began in October in verse 1. I'm just going to break into verse 9 here for review. The word of the Lord says, And in a vision, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and the colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a river side where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, And he came out the same hour. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we have gathered in his name, not in any man's name. And we have come to hear your word, not any man's word. And so we pray that as we look into the scriptures now, far above any human voice, we might be able to hear your voice speaking to us. Out of your word, we give you by our will what you already have by divine right. Complete liberty to move in us and around us this evening. To speak to us, to touch our lives and our hearts. To show us, to say to us anything about anything in our lives that you wish to say. For you are Lord and God. You are the creator. 
All wisdom resides in you. We are but your creatures. We cannot counsel you. We cannot teach you anything. There is nothing about us that you need to know. You already know it all. And so we give you, with a free heart and a willing spirit, complete liberty to speak to us through your word and to be glorified in our lives. For you have made us that we might know you, enjoy fellowship with you, and glorify you forever. Help us to do that this evening. Be glorified, we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Acts, you know, I think I told you if I didn't, I'll tell you now. The book of Acts is not like a visit to a museum. You know, when people go to the museum, what they do. Museum of Natural History. I remember taking the children one time to the uh, a museum in, I believe it was Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they showed along with all the things that they were showing about how they make chocolate. They had a section where they showed you things about how people lived back in the gaslight era and then when electricity was introduced. It was very interesting to look at it all. But no one left there with the inclination of going home and tearing out all the electricity and plumbing in their house and going back to live that way. You see, a lot of times when you go to a museum, you see things, how they lived, what they did, Way back in the past, and it's, it's interesting to you, your curiosity is aroused, you, you enjoy looking at it and thinking, people really live that way. But you have no intention of going home and doing, living anything that you saw there. It's just a visit to the museum. And this is our problem many times when we come to the Bible. Because the Bible is an old book. It's been around a long time. It talks about people that lived a long time ago in another place. And we say, well, that's real nice, but I live in Silicon Valley, or, or I live in Danville, and this is California, and this is the 21st century, and et cetera, et cetera. But then you begin to read the Bible, if you do that. And you begin to see that this book, although it's very old, talks about things that your math book and your history book and your philosophy book, and your sociology book, don't talk about. You read this book, and this book speaks to something on the inside of you. This book tells you something about who you are, and where you came from, and what purpose there is in your life. And those things you will not find in a book of mathematics. And so we come to the book of Acts. We don't want to read it just like History. We want to read it as an opportunity to see in it advice for us about our lives. To learn something about how God deals with the human race. How he reveals himself. How he speaks to people. And what he wants from us. And that's what we have here in this book. And we began back in, the, in October in our first session together. Opening up chapter 16. And we saw there in the first few verses how Paul chose Timothy, a young man, and he trained him, he took him with him, and he taught him. Right as he did the work, as he visited from church to church, and his visits were not like my visit to you. He didn't come for a week. He'd be there for a month, two months, three months, a year, two years, three years. He itinerated, but the time between his stops was a lot greater than the time between my stops on the trip over here. It was 24 hours from Madrid to San Jose. 
nine to Miami, two on the ground in Miami, then two and a half more to Dallas, and an hour and a half on the ground there, and the rest of the time here. And that's the way it is. I didn't have time to get to know anyone in Miami or Dallas or even in the San Jose airport. The Apostle Paul moved around, but his stops were longer than two hours and they were longer than two days. And the people that he taught, like young Timothy, you see how he did it. He did it like what we call today an internship. He had him with him in the work, right there beside him, teaching him by what he was doing. As he spoke to people, as he preached the gospel, as he ministered to people's lives, as he visited people, Timothy was right there by him. We we might say, some of us have said, he was his shadow. You know the old song, Me and My Shadow. I can't sing like Dean, so I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry. That's the way it was. And this is the way they learned in the New Testament. There were no schools, no institutes, no seminaries. And somehow, these people, these simple people, without any degrees behind their name or anything, these simple people taught by the Scriptures, taught by the Spirit of God, were able to do what we read in the Scriptures. It says, they have these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They didn't have our technology. And they turned the world upside down. What are we doing? There's a lot more of us now, and we have a lot more oomph, technologically speaking, to reach the world with. But these are the ones about whom the world complained and said, these that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Well, that's Paul and Timothy here in the first five verses. And then we moved on from there, and we saw in verses 6, to 10, how he was guided by God, and we spoke about guidance. How does God guide people? They guide, God doesn't guide people who are dreamers, but doers. People who sit around and dream. Someday I'd like to do something to serve the Lord. He serves people who roll up their sleeves and get to work right where they are. They have something to do right where they are. And I remember when I got saved, uh, I came into a fellowship in a little church, and I asked the people there, I said, what can I do to help out? I didn't know how to say anything. In fact, if you had seen me the first day I stood up and asked if we could sing a hymn, I nearly died. I think my whole life passed before me. All I did was stand up and say, could we sing hymn number so-and-so and sat down. And my wife, who was sitting beside me, she could have told you, and she, if she was here, she would tell you that my knees were going just like this. I said, I'll never stand up in a meeting again. The Lord said, wrong. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know what to do. What can I do to help out? I'm just a new Christian. What can I do? One of the older brethren in the church said to me, just do whatever you see that needs to be doing around. Does somebody need to pick up the hymn book? Does somebody need to give them out? Does somebody need to greet people at the door? Just do whatever you see to do. Just start doing it. Don't wait to take a questionnaire or something to find out what your spiritual gift is, which most questionnaires, what they do is they tell you what you like and what you don't like, which may or may not have anything to do with what God in heaven, who decides what your spiritual gift is, because they are gifts from Him, may or may not have anything to do. And so forget about all of that. Just roll up your sleeves. That's the simplest survey and test and guide that you will find and get busy doing what you find to do. And you'll find out that God blesses you and enables you to do some things better than other things. Well, put the emphasis on those. And don't whine and complain about the things you can't do. 
Just do what you can. So here they are. They are serving the Lord. And the Lord guides them. They come and they try to go here. The door's shut. They try to go there. The door's shut. They can't go. And so what do they do? They come to Troas. And there they are. It lands in. What are we going to do now? And that's where they have the vision. We call the Macedonian vision of verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. He's called by a man of Macedonia. They go over to Philippi, guided by this vision of a man who said, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And they go with this thought in mind. Look at the end of verse 10. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Chapter 16 of Acts, just like many of the other chapters of Acts, is about giving to people right around the world in different cultures, in different countries, with different languages, in different situations, the thing that the human heart in every place around the world needs to solve its most basic and fundamental problem, and that is the gospel. That is not philosophy. It is not politics. It is not education, unless you're talking about being educated about spiritual things. All of those things have their place, and all of them have some use. But the Lord didn't call the apostles to do social work. He called them to preach the gospel. He called them to preach the gospel. And that's what we're doing here tonight. I love this sign you have. This is the very same sign. Ours is smaller in the church in Seville. The very same sign that we have up. Because we're not here to talk about ourselves. We're here to talk about someone that we have found who is Lord. Someone that we have found who can solve problems. Who can direct, without ever making a mistake, a life. Who can keep you in the mainstream and out of the little whirlpools of uselessness as you go through life. And that's what the gospel is all about. And he says, therefore, since we determined that the Lord had called us, he says, we went. And we came to that in verses 11 and 12, how they went right away and began the ministry in Philippi. He says, we went with the straight course. And that's the way to go. Straight way. You know the Lord has told you to do something. There's no need to continue to pray about it or dilly-dally around. Get right down to business and do what you see that he's called you to do. And that's what they did. They went with a straight course to Samothracia, the next day to Neapolis, and right into Philippi. And there was no great beginning. It says, we were there certain days in verse 12. We were there certain days. And, and, nothing. No band. The mayor didn't come out to greet them and give them the key to the city. There were no parades like uh, when Dorothy goes to Oz, you know, and they go on to the Emerald City and all of that. There was none of that. It says, we were in the city certain days. And then they find, and here's where things begin to happen. Verses 13 down to 15, we saw how they found a group of women who were meeting together and praying. There was no one to teach them. And they were there praying. It says, we went down to the river where, by the riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women that resorted there. And a certain woman, there was a woman there named Lydia, who came from a city where there, Thyatira, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And she was there. And these people, apparently, these women who were meeting with her, were praying and seeking the true and living God. And it says here, the Lord opened her heart and she listened to the things that were spoken by Paul. 
Well, now I want you to think with me about this for a minute. This is what God's word says. God, who can do anything, any way, any time he wants to, because he never makes a mistake, this is how he chooses to move. He wants people to pay attention to his word when it is being preached. He says she listened, she paid attention to the things that were being spoken by Paul. You know, my, I really feel uh, as I have moved around not all countries, but many countries in, in all different parts of the world. You see, it doesn't matter what the culture is and what the language is, you see the same story being played out over and over again. Some people pay attention, and some people come by obligation or out of courtesy. You know, and you think if they could just see that God is handing them a solution for their life, they could just see that God has brought about a meeting with him. He's meeting with them. He's communicating with them. But they're not paying attention. They just don't get it. They're watching, looking around at other people. They go to sleep. They're swatting flies. Uh, it could be a thousand and one things. And, of course, then back in those days, people didn't have cell phones and palm pilots to distract them and watches that beeped on the hour or whatever. So we have a lot more distractions now than they had, but the, the story is still the same. You see the multitudes. The Lord is speaking to the multitudes. He's teaching. Some people are being healed, and, and like the woman who came and touched the hem of his garment. One person out of a multitude was affected by the power of Christ that day. One person. Here they were all around him, but they weren't there with a sense of need. They were there out of for a thousand other reasons. Curiosity, boredom, who knows what the reasons were. But not with a sense of personal need like that woman had. And you see this over and over again in the scripture. That the women seemed to be quicker than the men to sense their need. And to come to terms with God about what they need. And here's a woman, Lydia. Here she is. She listens. And because she listens... She's saved. She knows she needs something. It says here, when she was baptized, it doesn't say she was converted. It doesn't say she believed and was born again. It doesn't say any of that. But the language of verse 15 implies that she had done it because the apostles never baptized anyone who didn't profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. And her household. And it says now in verse 15, and this is where we stopped last time. It says that uh, she asked them to judge her. Today people say, oh, you're not supposed to judge. Oh, judge not. People who don't know anything else about the Bible. They don't know a single verse. Never cracked it. They don't even know how to turn it right side up when they pick it up. But this verse they know. Judge not that ye be not judged. (laughs) Maybe at some future date we'll have a study on all the different biblical uses of the word judge because people don't know what they are. Maybe you do. You're better taught, I think. Um, she says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Can I just say this to you plainly? Nobody should ever say, if I trust in Christ or if I believe in Christ, it's a personal thing between me and God. She said, if you have judged me, To be faithful. She invited them to look at her, 
to know about her and to discern for themselves if she was really faithful. That means a believing person. If she had really believed in Christ. She said, look at me. Do you judge that I'm faithful? She said, if so, then what? Come into my house and abide there. If I'm a believer, come stay with me. When a person says, oh, that's between me and God. No one else can know. That's just a way of the tortoise going into the shell and hiding. And there's no reason to hide unless you have something to hide or unless you have nothing to show. You see? And so she says, if you judged me to be faithful. Well, I love this. Lydia is the first person saved in Europe that we know of. Philippi was the first city evangelized in Europe. And the first person of all Europeans saved was a woman. The first person to see the risen Lord in the resurrection was a woman. And you think about the place that they play here in the New Testament scriptures. It really is wonderful. People say uh, we need to leave behind uh, repressive Christianity. I hear uh, the liberals say that a lot. And I think, boy, they just don't really know anything about Christianity, do they? Women really find their true and God-given place in New Testament Christianity. There is true liberty and meaning to life given here in this book. And so it says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer. Now we're to the part that concerns us tonight, verses 16 to 18. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain young woman possessed with a spirit of divination. What does that mean? A, a person who can divine. A person who is a fortune teller, we say. We have a word for that in Spanish. Uh, we call them adivinos or curanderos. They have different names. People that if you lose your your leather jacket or your purse, you can go to them and you can pay them. Uh, a, they call it la voluntad. It means whatever you want to give them. You just give them something. And then they'll go into a trance and they'll communicate with this spirit. And then they'll say, your jacket is on a bench in the bus station or your purse is in a trash can because if they steal it. What they do a lot of times is they go through it real quick. They find the money or credit cards or whatever they want. And they take all the rest and they throw it in a trash can. And so then the people go there and they find it. This is what they're talking about here. A woman, a young woman with a spirit of divination met us which brought her master much gains by soothsaying. She met them and she followed them around and she said what? These men are the servants of the Most High God. She's crying it out, the words here says. It doesn't say she said it. It says she called it out in a loud voice. She's shouting, walking along the city streets behind them, doing this, creating an uproar, calling attention to them. These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And every day she's following them around. If they weren't known in Philippi, if they had a slow beginning in Philippi, back in verse 12 is what we saw. Boy, things sure got into high gear here. And I want to tell you why. I don't know what you think about the world of the occult. About Satan and demons. But I'll tell you this. If you don't believe in them, you need to get up to speed. Jesus believed in them. He spoke about them. The devil is not a philosophical concept. He's a person. He's the second most powerful in the universe, we think. He's a fallen angel of extreme power 
who rebelled against the true and living God, who took others with him. And, and that story has been repeated throughout history, hasn't it? People leave someplace. They rebel. They become unhappy, unsatisfied, and they leave. And what do they do? They drag people with them as they go. Where did they get it? It's following the same old pattern you have right here in the Word of God. And so off he went. And those spirits, those other fallen angels who followed him, are what the people in the world call, we call them too, demons, spirits. Some people in the world call them ghosts. There's no such thing as ghosts. Ghosts don't exist. The spirits of dead people, haunting houses and all that, this is all, these are childish stories that are sad misinterpretations of spiritual realities. Spirits exist, but not the spirits of dead people haunting places or coming and speaking to people. Spirits who are impersonators, Spirits who have evil power and who desire to enslave people and to lead people like themselves away from the truth, away from the light, away from freedom into slavery. And this is what happened here. This girl is a, is a sad case. This, this poor girl that we see here. And I look at her and I see the way she comes to us in chapter 16. Did you catch it as we're reading along? The first woman we read about is an enlightened woman, a woman who is concerned about her spiritual condition, a woman who meets with other women for prayer. The second woman that we meet in chapter 16 is a woman who lives in spiritual darkness. She has no light. She has no joy. She has no salvation. She doesn't know. She couldn't have told you then what would have happened to her if she were to die. She had no future. And there may be people like this here tonight that maybe didn't, aren't like her in the sense of having a spirit of divination. But maybe you can't say, if you were to die tonight, and I don't wish it on any of you, what would happen to you? Where would you go? Where would you be? What hope is there for you? And don't answer me with terms like, I think or I hope or I certainly wish. Because think and hope and certainly wish are not the way to go into eternity, my friend. It's to know. Suppose I went to the airport in Madrid and took my suitcase with me and walked up to the counter and said, I'd like a ticket. And they said, to where? And I said, wherever. It doesn't really matter. All planes go to the same place. (laughs) But instead of being here today, where would I be? I'd be in what they call in Spanish the manicomio, the crazy house. (laughs) Under 24-hour care. All planes do not lead to the same place. People don't just wander up to airline counters and say, whatever. At least not if they're in their right mind. And people don't just walk up to eternity if they're in their right mind and say, whatever. And the biggest fool, and I don't mean it in an insulting way, is the person who doesn't know where they're going to go when they die. How can you lie down in the bed at night and close your eyes and rest on the pillow when you can't say, if I were to die tonight, I know for sure where I would be. How can you rest if you don't know where, if you never open your eyes again, where you might end up? I don't call that wisdom. 
Well, you see, this is the problem. Here she is, the exact opposite she is of this what this first woman that we saw. She's a, a girl who's exploited. She's a girl with a darkened mind. She doesn't know the truth. She can't speak the truth. The only thing she says here that is truthful are these words that come out of her mouth when she says, these men are the servants of the Most High God and show unto us the way of salvation. But what does she know about what she was saying? And as I look at her and as I read and I think about verse 16 and who she was, my heart is just filled with pity for her. She is a pathetic case. She's the opposite of Lydia. Here is a girl who never went to prayer. See, they did that, by the way. I'll just mention that, by the way. It says, as we went to prayer. They did that in the New Testament. That was one of the things that people in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you see it over and over again. Christians prayed. They had spontaneous prayer when things came up, like we mentioned here at the beginning of the meeting. People, and we should all stop and pray for them right then. When things come up in your life, is the first thing you do go, oh my God, not this. It was the first thing you do, say, oh dear Lord, in prayer. People in the world who are even professed atheists say, oh my God, all the time. I'm sick of hearing it. Because it's not a prayer. It's an exclamation of disgust, of fear, or whatever it might be. If it were, oh my Lord, help me. It might be different, wouldn't it? Well. Here she is. She never went to prayer. Never went to prayer. Poor, wretched girl, she says in verse 17. If you, uh, I have the King James Version here before me because I was uh, raised on it, but I, I don't dislike the other versions. In the New American Standard, I like better here in verse 17. She says, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto you, the way of salvation. And in the Greek, that's what it is. They show unto you. And with those words that she said, poor thing. That's a real southern expression. Poor thing. She excluded herself. That's what she really did. She excluded herself. She said, they they show unto you the way of salvation. She felt that there was no hope for her. She was sold. She was a slave to a spirit who who revealed pathetic, unimportant things to her about a lost something here or there. Or about, as the Spanish say, salud, dinero y amor. Health, money, and love. The only things people want to know about. Is there any health, money, or love for me and my future? And people would pay and then they would be told something about it, see. And there she is. She's caught between the evil spirit and between evil men because she is not only a wretched girl and an ignorant girl and a possessed girl, but she's an exploited girl. These men care nothing for her. The only thing they care about her is the money they are making from her. She is a poor, exploited person. And there she says, they show unto you the way of salvation. The only thing nice her masters could say about her was that she brought them a lot of money. That's it. She brought her masters much gain by fortune telling. She was just a way to make money. 
And you can be sure she didn't keep it herself. They got it. The love of money, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, is the root of all evil. Some people in pursuing after them, it says, have erred from the faith. It says that others have drowned themselves in destruction and perdition. And not only that, about themselves, but look what they've done to her. This is a girl, a young woman, who needs to be freed, who's gotten herself maybe from a child caught in a trap in life that she does not know how to get out of. And I take it from the words that she uses here that she's even lost hope of getting out. Poor thing. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that hasn't gone as far as she has, or maybe you have. I'll tell you this, if you have, whoever your familiar spirit is, he won't accompany you to the judgment throne of God. He's banished from there. He's a poor lawyer and defender to have. You will be abandoned in your hour of need. You better to give him up now before he gives you up then. But there are plenty of people in life who have found, have gotten themselves somehow from their youth, somehow from a bad decision made at some point in time, somehow they find themselves in a, in a situation in which they feel trapped. They don't know how to get out. And they don't have any real hope of getting out. And then the Lord provides right before their eyes what he provided for this young woman. Someone who preaches the gospel. Because what this woman needed was not a year and a half or two years of extended counseling and group therapy and all of these other things. What she needed, she got. And she got it in a few minutes time from the Apostle Paul. You see, people who don't have a solution can give you two years of theories. And two years of therapies, of course, all paid for by the hour. Because they also make much gain by what they do. What Paul did, he did for free. No one ever sold spiritual help in the New Testament. And any person who's following the pattern of the New Testament and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't have anything to sell because he got it for free too. And that's the truth. So here she is, and she says, these men are the servants of the Most High God. What does she know about that? (laughs) What does she know about that? She wasn't a servant of the Most High God. She was a servant of an evil spirit. She was a servant of two miserly men who were only concerned about getting money out of her for them to live. But she saw in them, even through her darkened heart, even through her confused mind, she was able to see clearly that these men are servants of the Most High God. And maybe she thought in herself, wouldn't I like to be? But I'll tell you something. Every person in this room here tonight who is a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a servant of God. Don't take my word for it. Go read Romans chapter 6. We're there. All humanity is divided into two groups. Those who are the servants of sin and those who are the servants of righteousness. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And my friend, if you've never been born again, 
You might be cultured. You might be educated. You might live a fine life. But you are the servant of sin. And until you find spiritual freedom in Jesus Christ, not your money, not your comfort, not your culture, nothing you are or have can deliver you from sin. Only Jesus Christ. And the people who talk to you that way say it. We say it because we know it from personal experience. We know what it means to be delivered from sin. We know what it means to reach the place in life where you find out that education, and I have it, and that position, and I have had it, and power, and all of those things mean nothing spiritually. They don't fill the heart. They don't last for all eternity. They're empty dreams. They're shadows that people chase that give them nothing. Jesus Christ satisfies. He's not a philosophy. He's a friend. He's a person. He comes. He lives in you. He guides you. He saves you. He saves you from yourself and from your sin and from a future that you would prefer not to think about. Well, you see, they said these men are, she said, these men are servants of the Most High God. Isn't it interesting? And you realize, I hope, that Acts 16 is the introduction to the book of Philippians. Let's just turn there for a minute, just a minute to look and see in Philippians chapter 1. When Paul writes the letter back to the city of Philippi that we're reading about here. That's what Philippians is. And when in the New Testament you find these epistles, a good thing to do is to go back to the book of Acts and read, find the place in the book of Acts where he visited that place. And what took place there. And then you've got that as a background for when you study this epistle. Now look what Paul does here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, Paul and Timotheus, the what? Of Jesus Christ. That's the same word that she used over here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 17. That word servants, or if yours says bond servants, that's even better because that's what the Greek word doulos is. That's the exact same word they used. She said of the Most High God. They said of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 1. Because Jesus Christ is God. There's no mistake there. But he used, the apostle used here when he wrote to Philippi, the same terminology that that girl used on the streets of Philippi. We are the servants. We are the doulos, the bond servants of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what he said. She says, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. How easy it is for people to use religious terminology without knowing anything about what it means. What does she know about salvation? What does she know about the way of salvation? The only thing she knew about was telling people where their lost purse was. Telling people where they were going to have money or love or or something in their future. Or health in their future. She didn't know anything about salvation. She needed to be saved herself. Oh, we have a lot of people. Some of them are in the streets and some of them are in the churches. They know how to put their fingertips together. And they know how to walk around with that smile on their face. Yes, brother, praise the Lord. Yes, they know how to say all those Christian words. You know, God, Jesus, brother, amen, hallelujah. They know how to say all the right words. What do they mean? Well, I have a friend in North Carolina. He wrote one of the articles that's on one of those papers out there called Milk and Honey. Uh, his name's Ingemar de Ritter. And... Uh, 
he got say he was a combat photographer in Vietnam. And then when he came back to the States after that, he came to know the Lord. He's a true born-again believer, and he preaches the gospel in North Carolina. Uh, doesn't have a North Carolina accent, but, uh, but they love him, and we do too. He had a parrot. I was visiting this past summer, and he told us about this parrot that they had. They bought this parrot uh, from a store this lady has where she takes pets that people don't want anymore, and she resells them. She takes care of them, and then she sells them. Well, they bought this parrot, and this parrot, someone had already taught it to talk, and it turns out the reason that it was there in the pet store uh, taken back was because it talked too much. And she said, we found, he said, we found that out on the way home. He said, in the car, that parrot talked to us all the time. Hi, what you doing? What you doing? Hi, where are we going? What you doing? All the time. And they got home. He said, as long as they talked to the parrot, the parrot's happy. But any time they'd pick up the phone, the parrot would start talking. It seemed he was jealous for them to talk to anyone else. Well, they had all kinds of crazy things. I can't remember them all, but I'll tell you a couple of them. I remember when they wanted to clean the cage, uh, they had to say, clean the cage? The lady at the store told them this. And if the parrot was in a good mood, it would move over to one side and let them clean the cage. And if it wasn't, it would just stand there and glare at them. And he said, if that happened, don't try to clean the cage. So one day they were in a hurry and they, they had somewhere to go. They needed to clean the cage. And so his wife, Yvette, said, clean the cage. And the parrot just stared at her. And she said, that's enough. i got to clean this cage. And so... She stuck her hand in to start cleaning the cage, and the parrot attacked her. But she grabbed it to move it out of the way, and it, and it turned out as she grabbed it, she grabbed it by the throat <laughs> and held it on the other side of the cage, and the parrot, with her hand around its throat, said, You're something else. <laughs> so they found out over the year, they had it a year, and then they took it back. Well, they found out how many things this other person had taught it to say. Uh, For example, um, it would talk when they were on the phone, and Ingemar said that one day he turned around to the parrot when he was talking on the phone, and he said, shh, and the parrot said, be quiet, to him. Well, those were, of course, learned reactions by the parrot. The parrot couldn't define for you what be quiet means. But when he could use them in the right situation, it gives the impression, of course, that he can think and react just like we can. These men show unto us the way of salvation. Ah, Polly want a cracker. They're just words. She doesn't know what they mean. Anybody here tonight? Ever been guilty of using words that you don't know what they mean? Just because you come in and you find out this is what people talk about, and this is the vocabulary they use, and to fit in, which we all like to do, you begin to use the terminology. But let me ask you, suppose you had to explain to somebody tonight, somebody who needed to know because they didn't have much life left to live, suppose you had to explain to somebody The way of salvation. Could you do it? Now, if you've been there, you know the way. But if you don't know how to explain it, heads up. It's more than words. Here at San Ramon Valley Bible Church, we're not talking about 
learning words and vocabulary. We're talking about truth and reality, you see. She said, they show unto you the way of salvation. But she didn't know what that meant. She didn't know that Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. She didn't know what it meant to be saved. A lot of people today, they use these words. John Denver, after he smoked pot on the Rocky Mountains and saw the meteor shower, he said in, his, in national TV, he said, and there it was, I was born again. But this, he, was, he felt so freaked out by everything he saw up there on the mountaintop that night. And there he wrote his song, Rocky Mountain High. And he talked about being born again. Didn't know what it meant. You know what it means to be saved? From sin. From the punishment for sin. From the slavery of sin. The power of that habit. Of those things that you can't stop and you can't say no to and you can't put out of your life. To know what it means to be delivered because that's what it means. To be rescued because that's what it means. That's what the word saved means. It's a good word. But if the only thing you know about saved or Bible is what you see on the media and the, and the entertainment media that always put the caricature of Christians as racial bigots and ignoramuses and there's a thousand different ways that they, they put them in bad light. None of those people who behave that way are real believers. You want to find out what real believers are like. Start looking in here. And then when you look around, those people that you see that behave like the people that you read about in the Bible, those are the real believers. Amen. Those are the real believers. The people that behave like those people you see in Hollywood, forget about those. Just forget about those. See, they said they, they show unto you the way of salvation. She didn't know anything about it. And tonight, that's what we'd like for you to know. There is a way of salvation. Jesus Christ came into this world as God incarnate. He took upon himself a human form. And he came into this world for the purpose, not of starting a holiday or holidays. He came into the, perp into the world for the purpose of going to the cross, which was to the Romans and to the Jews a way of getting rid of him. But to God the Father and to him, it was the place and the way by which he suffered. He presented himself and suffered as a sacrifice for our sins. Not what the Romans did to him, but what it says in the Old Testament scriptures. Awake, O sword, against my servant, against the man who is my fellow. Smite the shepherd from heaven. What man could be the companion of God, except God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God made man, the man who is my companion. He was stricken. He was punished for our sins at Calvary, for what you did, for what I did. We did the sinning, and he did the die. And when they preached the gospel, and when they taught people the way of salvation, that's what they told them. You can be saved from the penalty and the power of sin, because someone else took your punishment for you. And that's what they're preaching here. But first of all, in verse 18, we see that Paul, after being patient, it says, This she did for many days, but Paul, being grieved, he waited days, many days. And then he came to the point in his grief 
And that word could be translated annoyed, indignant, (coughs) exasperated. That's the idea. It's not the common New Testament word used to, to mean pain as we know it. It's more like exasperation, something that causes you to labor and toil with frustration. And this is the way he felt. Why did he feel that way? Well, he didn't need the testimony of people with unclean spirits. He didn't need that. Unholy friendships provide no advantage to the gospel. The endorsements of the unbelieving are no favor to the gospel. See, we don't need that. But there's more to it than that. I think he was exasperated and grieved by the fact that this girl was held in that kind of slavery. And that as James chapter 3 says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. That mouth that was used for fortune telling, and here it was using words like the way of salvation. He said, this has got to come to a stop. There wasn't any exorcism ceremony. There weren't any candles. There weren't any garlics. There weren't any signs of the cross. There wasn't any of this stuff that you see in the exorcist or anywhere else. There wasn't any of that. There was a simple and powerful statement. I command you to go to two years of therapy the first, the first, uh, the first hour of Monday every week. He says, no, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And what does it say? That he came out the same hour. Now, I've abused your patience and I'm going to stop. Before I do, I want to give you a warning. In Acts chapter 19, seven men in the city of Ephesus, went around supposedly casting demons out. There have been a lot of people who tried to get spiritual and social mileage out of this kind of thing over the years. The seven sons of Sceva. And so they went up to this man who was possessed with spirits and they said, We command you in the name of Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches, come out. And the spirit answered them. Because, you see, spirits are not uh, imaginary. They're personages. The spirit answered them and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And it said they leaped on him and, and were, well, we would say in the south, they turned him every which way but loose. And he fled from there naked. He was beaten up and had lost his clothing in the process. He fled from there. See, there's no magic formulas. We're not talking about formulas, uh, certain words you say in a certain order. You can forget all this Harry Potter baloney. Spells, incantations, and all this kind of stuff. You're wasting your time. And, and worse than that, you may be enslaving your spirit. If you're going to use the name of Jesus Christ, be sure you know him. Be sure you know him. Be sure that you are saved from your sin. Be sure that your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ that was spilled there at Calvary's cross for you.
Be sure that you belong to him. Be sure that you are walking in a holy life, that you're not living, or as we say in Spanish, playing with two decks of cards, living a double life. Be sure that you know Christ and that you walk in fellowship with him. Paul did, and that's why the demons knew him. Because wherever he went, he represented Christ. He didn't have two lives. See? And they could say, Jesus we know. And Paul we know. Leonard Ravenhill one time wrote a chapter of a book about this. And he said at the end of the chapter, he said, do the demons know you? Does your name mean anything to them? The names of these men didn't. Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And they found out pretty quick that they were nobody. Tonight, we would like to invite you to think about whether or not you know the Jesus Christ that Paul knew and preached. Whether or not the name of Jesus Christ means anything personally, spiritually, and eternally to you. And we hope that you are not one of those people who's going to present himself, maybe in the not too distant future, at the airline counter of eternity, not knowing where he's going. We pray that you'll come to know him tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the word of God. We give thanks for the opportunity that we have had to look into it together. Help us not to be like parrots using phrases and words that we do not know the meaning of. Help us to deal in spiritual realities. We pray, O Lord, for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior that they would come to know you this way, that there would be spiritual substance in their lives. We give you thanks, those of us who know you, that we have the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of making him known to others. And we do pray that as we look into your word these days together, that you would add your blessing in a special way to each of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience. God bless you.